0: Welcome, friends, to the Effective Church Leaders podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive. I'm your host, Carrie Holton, and I'm joined by Becky Holton, my co-host.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: I want to say to everyone, welcome to the podcast episode that we wish wasn't. But which needs to be. (laughs) That's right. Today we are going to talk about a topic that often surfaces when we talk about church leaders, but it is a topic we really don't want to talk about because it's a challenging one. It's a topic that is more difficult, and it is about how to care for and respond to our church leaders if they fall into moral failure. But even though it's a challenging subject and difficult for us to talk about, it is vital that we discuss it because An inadequate response, or no response at all, can result in extreme emotional and spiritual damage for all concerned. In our next four podcasts, we want to define and discuss preventive care and redemptive responses to moral failure among church leaders, especially moral failure among ministry staff.
1: Yes, I I agree with what you said. Um, And although this topic has always been a significant topic to consider and discuss, uh, it seems that the Me Too movement has created an understanding of how great the scope of child abuse and moral failure has been and continues to be. And for the church and church leaders' sake, I'm really glad we have this deeper understanding of the problem, because local church leaders, you know, are often the first line of communication, not just in instances of abuse but also in cases of marital unfaithfulness and other sexual sins. So it's imperative that church leaders are prepared so they can respond with urgency and in ways that are biblical, ethical, truthful, grace-filled, and especially redemptive. Because such competent responses will build trust in local leaders in a time, as you know, when church churches and church leaders have been known for disregarding the severity of this issue and promoting secrecy, which usually places shame on victims and prevents redemptive care of the ones caught in moral failure. In other words, we sometimes protect the wrong people.
0: That's well said, honey. And I think this is an important topic. I'm so glad we're addressing it, and I'm glad that you are the one in particular that gives us some expertise on this subject. Let's talk about uh, this particular subject of moral failure, and let's start by asking this question. Would you define for us exactly what moral failure is? How would you define it?
1: I think that's a really good place for us to start uh, because a lot of people give different definitions to it. So let's walk our way through it and then we'll end up with how we're going to define it. Typically, this term moral failure refers to sexual immorality, which would primarily include an adulterous relationship. With a man or a woman, as well as an inappropriate emotional relationship, including or leading up to physical contact of a sexual or intimate nature, which would involve sexting and other forms of sexual intimacy. Uh, Marital, marital, uh, I'm sorry, moral, moral failure also includes sexual addictions that may have uh, involved habitual use of pornography. That, which is like a drug addiction, it has come to a critical point. And some people may use, you'll hear how they write about it, and they may use a really large scope to define moral failure and will also even include things like gossip, pride, dishonesty, malicious dissension, stirring up trouble, as well as major family issues that need to be addressed. We are not, for our purposes, going to use such a broad scope. Um, Also, moral failure does not always include abuse in particular child abuse, since an affair is consensual and abuse is not. So for our purposes, we will also not include in our definition of moral failure, financial abuse, embezzlement, or abuse of power. Those might better be be referred to as examples of ethical failure. So you can see that this definition can go so many different directions. But for our purposes, we are going to use moral failure to refer to sexual immorality, which would primarily include an adulterous relationship with a man or a woman, as well as an inappropriate emotional relationship, including or leading up to physical contact of a sexual or intimate nature. We will also include sexual addictions in our definition.
0: Okay, let me sum up before I ask you another question. In other words, we are describing in this podcast a time in a person's life, and perhaps a minister's life, when specific sexual behaviors disqualify them from living up to moral expectations, and the level of integrity expected for spiritual leaders. These behaviors have caused the leader, the missionary, the minister, the church leader, these behaviors have caused them to lose their moral authority and credibility to lead. And more than that, their own spiritual health is in danger. And of course, moral failure is a great threat to evangelistic integrity and to our mission.
1: Absolutely.
0: We will return to our conversation regarding moral failure among church leaders in just a moment. Before we do, please permit me to say a word about the Effective Church Leaders Workshop. This is a workshop for church leaders who long to lead more effectively and help their church thrive, but who may feel ill-equipped and at a loss as to what to do. We have just returned from conducting another effective church leaders workshop. Not only did we appreciate all the church leaders who attended that workshop, but we also appreciated their kind and encouraging comments regarding the material that Becky and I shared. What we heard from them is that the material we shared with them was so very practical and helpful and that the workshop gave them a a renewed motivation uh, to try some new ideas to help their church thrive. Perhaps your church would benefit from the Effective Church Leaders Workshop. We believe it would. We are now scheduling the workshop for dates in 2020. If you are interested in learning how to build trust, manage conflict, gain organizational clarity, embrace accountability, and focus on results on your leadership teams in order to help your church thrive, we would be happy to help. To begin a conversation with us, just go to effectivechurchleaders.com and we'll start the ball rolling. Let me ask you another question, Hun. Why do we have to talk about something that is so sad, so tragic, and that probably won't happen to a lot of ministers anyway?
1: Well, I agree with you. This is a conversation that you started off by saying we wish we didn't have to have. And I agree. I wish we didn't have to talk about these things. But sadly, let me share some statistics with you. Okay. In recent years, and this one was three years ago, Josh McDowell said that pornography probably was the greatest threat to the cause of Christ in the history of the world. Wow. That's an incredibly strong statement. And that same year, 2016, Barna Report, their research uh, that's based in the U.S., said that 50 to 70 percent of pastors struggle with viewing pornography. And by the way, that's the same amount for teens and young adults who see pornography at least monthly, whether or not they're looking for it. Barna also reported from their research that 35 to 55% of women have viewed pornography. And when under 25, they are most likely, the age of 25, they're most likely to be consistently viewing it. But today we're talking about more than pornography. So if we expand this topic to include sexual struggles and other sin beyond pornography, uh, it highlights uh, some, some significant observations that we also want to make. Our ministers and even missionaries are not immune to sexual struggles and temptation, and due to the high levels of stress in their work, they may be even more at risk. Uh, Also, sexual struggles are not confined to men only, and you could hear that in the Barna report. Women today struggle greatly in this area and usually experience more shame and isolation, and there's less help for them, and oftentimes their struggle is covered in a shroud of secrecy and quietness. Another startling observation is that as many as sixty-five men and fifty—I'm sorry, sixty-five percent of men and fifty-five percent of women will have an extramarital affair by the time they are forty, and that is according to the Journal of Psychology and Christianity. A Christianity Today survey found that twenty-three percent of three hundred pastors who responded admitted to sexually inappropriate behavior with someone other than their spouse while in ministry.
0: My goodness, I'm sure that all of our listeners would agree with me when I say those are some alarming statistics. I I guess... What you're showing here is that the problem is definitely a real problem and is prevalent in ministry.
1: Yes. In fact, I even stumbled over some of those statistics because they're they're hard to say. Right. You just don't want to believe some of those things. Right. In David Carter and Duncan Janicki's book entitled Torn Asunder, Recovering from Extramarital Affairs, which, by the way, this book is now 10 years old, so it's not even new, and we know that the research would probably be Um, more extensive, but in this book, Carter notes that adultery and divorce rates in the evangelical population are nearly the same as the general population in the United States, and that that sad observation tells us that being a Christian in our current culture does not reduce or remove the risk of having an affair, and that includes our ministers.
0: Correct. I think that's a wonderful point to make, you know, as popular culture becomes even more sexualized, ours as well as our minister's vulnerability to sexual temptation increases. I'm thinking that our minister's calling or status somehow protects him from immorality is a dangerous assumption. Would right. you agree?
1: Absolutely.
0: You know, the availability of Internet pornography, for example, even in remote isolated settings has given missionaries and ministers access to sexual gratification that is anonymous and private and dangerous. And in fact, the pedestal mentality that churches often unknowingly adopt for ministers actually increases their risk by placing them further away from supportive systems. So I think your point that no one is exempt, that we're all at risk, is a point well made.
1: Yes, absolutely. In fact, we do our ministers a disservice if we try to act like they're not not, um, just as viable to temptation as we are.
0: Yes. So let me ask you this next question. How can we help to prevent minister moral failure? I mean, uh, there must be some things we can do to help them to stay away from this temptation or to stay away from this failure. What can we do?
1: Uh, that's a great question and one that uh, I'm glad we're going to have some time to talk about. In our last podcast, you remember that I cited Howard Hendricks's study Uh, He was a professor for many years at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he did a really interesting study. He he, uh, conducted interviews with 246 men in full-time ministry who had experienced moral failure within a two-year time frame. And what we mean by that, it was an adulterous relationship that all 246 men in full-time ministry had been a part of. And what was very interesting is that through these extensive interviews and the qualitative research that he was doing, he discovered four common characteristics of their lives. And I want to share these, all four of these, we shared one in our last podcast, but I want to share all four of these because this might be a good launching place for us. The first common characteristic that contributed to moral failure is that none of these men were involved in any kind of a p- real personal accountability relationship.
0: You mean they were not really accountable to any one person?
1: Absolutely not. Okay. The second one is that each of the men had all but ceased having a daily time of personal prayer, Bible study, and worship.
0: That would set up anyone for failure.
1: Absolutely. Number three characteristic that was common among these 246 ministers who had been had experienced an adulterous relationship is that more than 80 percent of the men had been sexually involved with the with the other woman after spending significant time with her often in counseling situations and that's the statistic we quoted last week
0: right we uh, talked about that we talked about the danger of that didn't we
1: yes we did and the last one, uh, character, common characteristic, is that without exception, every single one of the 246 men had been convinced that this sort of fall would never happen to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in this podcast time, we really are just setting up what we want to suggest mm-hmm. that might be helpful. We're, we're trying to talk about the problem. The problem is real. The problem is prevalent among church leaders yes Uh, in our next podcast let's discuss these four specific areas of moral failure risk as well as other ways that we can help church leaders and ministers prevent the devastation of moral failure because i think it is vital to not just say you shouldn't do this right but rather to give help and practical tips that will be protective of our spiritual leaders and the churches that they serve But I think this podcast has been a good place to start as we define what constitutes moral failure and that it is a problem that is worthy of care for those who serve the church full time.
1: Yes, well said. Well, friends, that's it for today. If you have comments to make on this subject, please let us know, because we really do value your feedback. And as always, thanks for listening to the Effective Church Leaders podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive.